This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. Greetings one and all. Thanks so much for joining me. I hope the teething issues with the shift from the Wooshka podcast platform to Anchor have been resolved and you can listen to this via your usual or saved location. Man, what a process that was. Hope I don't ever have to do that again because, you know what, I love these conversations and I want to bring them to you as simply and as easily as possible. This conversation here is one of my all-time favorites for the podcast. It features a member of a group called A Rising Force from the United States, their guitarist, Lenny D. Mencari. Now, the interesting thing about this conversation here is that, of course, it features a lot of chat about music, but regular listeners to the show will know that I like to talk about a bunch of things, news, sport, politics, current affairs, let it all be on the table. But to be frank with you, it's just rare. A conversation with a fella like Lenny, it comes up maybe once every couple of years. So we do, we cover all of the things that I just mentioned, especially the political side of things. So if you're a bit sensitive about political stuff, you know what I'd say, tune in. I think you need to. I think people have got to learn to agree to disagree and still be mates, still find ways to be compatible in the social arena. Before we dive into the chat, we will hear a tune from Arising Forces, an absolutely gnarly rock and metal tune titled Nobody Cares from the album Eclipse. And once it's done, you'll dive into the conversation featuring the man, Lenny D-Man Carey. Let's do it.
man. Can we talk? No one cares about you. Chip sent through the opportunity to have a chat to you, and uh, it's not that I'm a skeptic, but you get a lot of stuff sent through to you, you know, when you do this, and you put it on. And the the thing that I really liked about what you guys are doing, it's it's not polished, and I want you to take that as very positive feedback because I think the the danger with this sort of music is to craft these wonderful hard rock and melodies, but then. You put this sonic sheen over them that takes away the gnarliness, takes away the metal, and you haven't done that. And that's that's why I think this is so appealing for me as a as a listener. Well, we wanted to achieve that. That's nice that you said that. Thank you, because all through the whole recording process of the last two records with these guys, I said, I don't want a perfect record. You, perfect records are boring. If you have way too much stuff on it, mm. it like you said, it's too polished. You need to have that raw feel of emotion. You know, I can listen to the record and go, oh, that was a mistake. <laughs> I go, oh, we missed that there. But you know what? It's okay because it's a human element. It's it's great that, that you picked up on that because that's what we really wanted with this record. We didn't want a perfect record. We wanted a great record, hmm. but we didn't want a perfect sounding record, you know. No, I, I get sick of it because I get sent a lot of stuff, particularly in the, uh, you know, when I say the emerging and younger genres of metalcore, deathcore, this sort of thing. And you listen to, like, you can hear what they're trying to do, but then they they go for this quality of sound that actually ruins it in terms of the, the repeat listening experience isn't there. You can't do it for too long. And I've got a new music show, so I do listen to a lot of the stuff that gets sent to me via email. So when I heard yours, mate, I was just very pleasantly surprised. And and the other thing, just to round that out, for my tastes, I, I really think you've nailed the the rainbow, the Dio, the Dio-fronted Sabbath uh, side of things, you know, with the Cozy Powell stuff, I call it. Is that is that something you were going for as well? We, I think as a whole, as a band, um, our writing is, is a lot different. I'll bring a, an idea, maybe I'll bring lyrics and I'll bring some guitar parts or I'll bring a finished song to, to all of us and I'll say, what do you think of this? And then we all kind of get in that, that circle of death and we go, let's do this, let's do that. I think all of us over the years have been influenced by such uh, some of the greatest music ever recorded. If you think back to the Led Zeppelin and you think the early Deep Purple and, and Dio with Rainbow and even JoLynn Turner with Rainbow where they became a little bit more poppy. Um, kind of that crossroad was, I think, down to earth with Graham Bonnet. Mm. Um, there's still yeah. some really good heavy stuff on there. But all of that music really influenced all of, of what all of us are in the band. So it, it natural progression as you come come forward with things that you've learned or or ideas that you've listened to and said, wow, that's really cool. I want to change that and do something here. Um, mm. Yeah, thanks. I mean, it, it's 
David definitely brought a more of an edge to the band, a little heavier, bluesy, mm. kind of a Coverdale, kind of a John Bush feel, kind of John sometimes Bush. Dio. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, yeah, John yeah. Bush, you know, Armored Saint Days, Anthrax Days too. Like the sound of white noise is still one of the greatest records, I think, ever with Anthrax. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, wholeheartedly agree. I think it's that that and Stomp 442 are their best two albums, yet they get marginalized these days because they're so focused on the Belladonna era. Um, I mean, so be it, you know, they've got a commercial commercial obligations to meet or what have you. But uh yeah, that I'm so glad you mentioned John Bush here. He's just one of those iconic and influence influencing vocalists that never gets mentioned. I think this might be one of the first times that someone's mentioned him during a conversation actually. And I think that's a shame. Well I you know it's funny when Dave sent me his demos when I asked him to join and and you know try out for the band, <laughs> he wasn't sure if he could sing the stuff from the first album because Mark was more of a tenor more of a I, I don't know i guess kind of a tommy shaw type singer and we wanted to go heavier on this record and i purposely started writing a little heavier not awesome. and then when when chris uh from hairball referred uh david to us i i said dave your voice reminds me of john bush and he was just like he was kind of giddy because he mm-hmm. hadn't heard that and, and i'm a big john bush guy see i love I love those early bluesy influence singers, you know, mm. Coverdale, even the dude from Rare Earth was just so bluesy. I can even look at Paul Stanley from Kiss and go, man, Paul Stanley listened to Motown growing up. You can hear yeah. that that inflection of that blues, you know, so. Mm. Okay, yeah, I guess I, I didn't want to get too far ahead of myself here, so I just want to give the listeners some background on the group, if that's cool. Um, so can you give me some background on the band and so far as when you're formed, who's in it? You already mentioned a member there, the singer there. Um, and anything else you think the listeners should know about the group? Because you are a band that I want to get behind, actually. Well, the uh, the three of us, uh, well, the original drummer, we have a new drummer now, and I'll introduce him in a little bit. Um, we were in a band called Dare Force and we just couldn't get along with the lead singer. Um, so we wanted, uh, we wanted to move on without him. So we did, we wanted a front man. Um, luckily we found a front man that played guitar as well with Mark. And, um, we went forward with that and we called it a rising force kind of, you know, in a way, just kind of a, a poke at him because it was called Dare Force. So we said, no, let's call it a rising force like that mm. and then we moved on with that we got a record deal with highball music um album did very well there was uh brian was from dare force brian lawrence and the bass player lane allen was the last drummer with dare force and he did two albums with us before he departed in early july um and now we have uh peter savage on drums from a led zeppelin tribute band and billy schlump as a guitar player but uh, maybe i'm jumping over a little bit too much um, so we got, we got a record deal. We put out a, a video. Our owners of the record label got sick. Uh, subsequently, uh, the owner, Bill Chavis, died of COVID-19. His wife, about a week later, also died from COVID-19. We were sitting on our brand new video in our next single, which was Undertow. We sat on that video for almost five months as it was finished. and then. Uh, Darkstar, who was affiliated with Sony and Universal, came to us and said, 
you know, you have a home here. Would you guys like to come over to our label? I said, well, you know, we, we'd like to get our music back. So we got a hold of our lawyer friend, Mick Spence, who drafted everything. We got our music rights back, which was a lot of work, but, it, you know, to get it out of an estate that was, does that make sense? Am I going to? No, over this I'm sense, trying to introduce no, the. Yeah, great yeah. detail. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a story. So, I mean, we, we fought to get our music rights back. We didn't have to fight that hard. We drafted it really well. Mick still tells me, he said, well, you guys and and uh, one other artist are the only two that I've gotten out of record deals who have gone on to do bigger things. Um, and the other one was Lizzo. <laughs> so she went on to be pretty big. Yeah, um, definitely. So then we, we signed with Darkstar. They re-released the first record. We, had, we were in the studio when they released. We were in pre-production for the new record. So we released uh, in February, Undertow, the re-release came out. We're now sold out of those copies. So now you can just get it as a digital download. Um, and then we released Eclipse. And that was on June 3rd. And, you know, eight weeks in the Billboard charts, the top 200. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Always wanted to do that, you know. Yeah, we're in interesting times, aren't we, in that respect? Um, it's always an accomplishment, isn't it? And, and in some ways, rock and metal is so well represented. So say a, a relatively underground metal band like yourselves to be represented on Billboard wouldn't have happened, say, 20 years ago. But then at the same time, no. you still got to really fight to be heard, haven't you? You've got to conduct a lot of interviews and you've got to get onto these Spotify playlists, that sort of thing. It's been a, a challenge at times. We've been very fortunate because there's a lot of people that really embraced this band early on a lot of people believed in it we wound up going out on on the road with tesla for some shows we got to play with ron keel an old friend of mine who actually helped us get that first record nice. deal yep. um we picked up shows with firehouse brett michaels uh tommy uh the guy from boston i don't know why yep. his last name um and collective soul We've got uh, shows coming up this month with Every Mother's Nightmare and then a couple of headline shows here at the theater and at uh, the venue down in Apple Valley, Minnesota called Bogart. So and then we're off to write the next record, October and November. So Yeah, definitely. We're trying to stay ahead of it. We're trying to stay ahead of it. Striking while the iron's hot. That's a good strategy. Well, we have, we have five writers in the band everybody's got a great input we all get along really well um there's never uh it's my song and i want it this way it's always all for one one for all which is great i mean i've been in other bands and with record deals and it's like well i'm the songwriter and i give 60 percent and it's like really yeah how about we just split it up like this just cut the pie then everybody's happy all the time you know yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I've been in bands, obviously, and I'm a musician. You can see behind me. <laughs> Sorry, but um, yeah, and and you're in. You're not even in bands that have gigged yet, and people are talking about slicing up the pie in terms of publishing and stuff. And you're thinking, mate, you are like decades away from even getting to that point. So what are we doing? Just let's play music, and whatever happens, happens. I'm sure we'll be rational and sort it out at the time. But. Yeah. Uh, it, it, sorry, just to dovetail that point onto something else, I spoke to Des Fafara from Cold Chamber and um, Devil Driver a couple of years back, and he was, uh, what was his comments? He, he can't play Cold Chamber music these days. 
in the way that I think he wants to do, bring it to people. Like as Cole Chamber's got to play it in Devil Driver because of agreements that he got into very early on with the ex-members of the band, and it's just too hard to unpick them. So there is an element to it, isn't there? Yeah, there really is. I mean, a nice, you know, we all run into, it's, it's funny you mention that because I was told that we could never play a Dare Force song ever again. And I, I, I was kind of snide and I said, well, I don't care. <laughs> I said, no big deal. I don't think anybody's going to care. You know, we'd rather play our music anyways. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, yeah that was sure. the only, that, that was one of the only things that ever came up with me, you know. I mean, heck, my old band Hurricane Alice is still out performing. Still, I think they have a sold-out show coming in mid uh, mid August. Uh, and Bruce and Bruce and I buried the hatchet a few years ago. We didn't talk for almost twenty years after I left the band. We buried the hatchet and did the reunion show. And uh, there you go. I mean, they still perform a lot of the songs that I wrote for the band back then. So I'm okay with it. I don't, you know, to me, music is music. Yeah, great perspective, by the way. Yeah, I've spoken to a bunch of people that are in, in your your position, and uh, the high road is definitely the best road uh, from the perspective. It's the only that, way to take it. Uh, you don't want to hang on to these sort of gripes, do you? I mean, they just sort of no. up, don't they? Yeah, I you know, I just you know, life is short. I mean, and the music business is hard. I mean, if it's too hard, get a helmet. You know, I mean, you know what I mean? You know. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I understand. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I believe me. I've had conversations with people that have been uh, in bands for uh, twenty plus years, and uh, in some cases, mate, they've got less than nothing to show for it. They've just got debt, is what I mean, to show for it, and their life has gone off, and then they've delayed things like having children, even, and they've got to a point where they're really resentful about life because of what's happened to them in the music business and the commitments and the loyalty that they've shown in some situations. And um, I've got a feel for people, and in some ways, because I always wanted to have a family and and um, participate in a fairly normal life, just love the music. But I don't think I could have done what a lot of these people do, which is tour for eight months in the year and then record an album and then rely on the goodwill of management or what have you to to uh, provide publishing royalties if they, even when they've written the bloody music, let's face it. Well, that was a nice thing about signing with Dark Star as we get, and even with Highball before that, we get to keep 100% of our publishing. Other record deals I had, I, you know, lucky if I got 12%, yeah. you know, 15%, if that, that would be very liberal. I see my dog has been let out. She's going to come up and say nice. hi. No, nope, hey. I guess not. <laughs> Where are you? No, she's, no. hi. All right. Sorry about that. No, that's all good. Love dogs. We've got come on ourselves. Up. Come on up. You want to say hello? I was trying to get her to come up and say <laughs> hi. No, she won't. No. Don't be shy. All right. All right. <laughs> love dogs, she might love pop her head up here. So, so if you see this little cute little uh, Boston Terrier head pop up, that's uh, that would be Zena the Warrior Princess. Oh, I should bring my wife in to have a look at have a look at it, and because uh, my well, I don't know where she went, but my sister in law's got a French bulldog. Is a French bulldog? Yeah, French bulldog, and uh, they're similar. I know they're not the same, but they're similar. But the Boston, very very rare in Australia. I've got to say, and they're a cost a fortune, close to ten grand or something, between five and ten grand. Uh, for, well, for something, yeah. See, uh, this one's kind of a, a nice story. My my wife and daughter were going horseback riding. They watched a guy throw a puppy out of the back of a truck uh, and then speed off. So the little puppy was standing on the side of the road, shaking. 
So my wife ran across the road and rescued this dog. And then I was on my way to a gig and she came in, she goes, Oh my God, you won't believe what happened. We have to wash this dog off. And I went to the gig and then I texted her and I said, you know, we can make, make room for her here at the house. We already have two dogs, three, you know, mm-hmm. it's fine. You know, the two Dobermans and then you got this, you know, Boston Terrier, Sharpay, American Staffinger mix. I don't know. She got a lot, mm. <laughs> so, but she's adorable. I don't know where she went, but. I'm assuming she's on a she's squirrel. She's just behind you before somewhere. Yeah, she's just, she? just yeah, just rummaging through the garden there behind you before sniffing things out. Oh. Yeah, as they, as they tend to do. <laughs> All good. Um, hey, just just back to the album in terms of uh, so the name of the album, of course, is, is Eclipse. Is there is there any track on there that if you're going to show somebody what you feel encapsulates everything about the band at the moment, and you were asked to pick a track from the album, which would you choose? Of the. Uh... It's hard to pick one, but I think that if there was one song that really highlighted, you know, the band, not just individually, but musically, I would say Trouble's Back in Trouble Again. Okay. Yeah. Because when a musician listens to it, every musician's been through that scenario, the situation of coming home and everything you own is out in the front yard. You know, because somebody couldn't put up with you being gone. Mm-hmm. Then the second half of the song, it's it's almost like you're sitting at the bar and confessing to a bartender. You know, that's like you know the rider's wrong, the backline isn't right, the hotel's cold every night. You know, I mean, it's a really that song, and and, and it really shows a, the influence of Zeppelin and Deep Purple and White Snake and the band as a whole in that particular song. I even got to play slide guitar on it, which was kind of cool because I'm an I am not a good slide player. So I kind of figured it out, you know. Mm. Yeah, you couldn't tell I mean, that you're not a good guitar slide guitar player because you nailed it. I did, and it was like <laughs> one take. And our engineer looked and he said, well, I think that's done. I said, really? Oh, I could do nice. better. He said, no, 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 no. Don't mess with it. I said, okay. You, got a, you captured a quality that can't be reproduced. No, we, we, we had that on the record too where there were moments that we – we heard something and, and somebody wanted to fix it. And we went, no, yeah. don't. I mean, leave it, leave it in there. It feels soulful. It's good. And if you hate it later, sorry, it went to press, mm. <laughs> you know? Well, well, you've got it. You've got one of the gnarliest uh, passages that I've heard from a group all year. And I'm talking about the, the group before the solo in nobody cares. Okay. That, that very, that it's almost a Metallica thing you've got going on there. It's heavy and it's mean, but it's groovy. So it's got some soul. It's got some, got some Motown. Let's use that word. Got some Motown about it. Um, I'm actually keen to, to hear your songwriting branch out more in that direction based on what I've heard here. Is that, have you got any really heavy cuts in the can similar to Nobody Cares, that bit in Nobody Cares? Uh, I can, uh, you know, I don't want to sound like a lawyer. I went to college to be one, but I never got there. Hmm. Um, I can't admit or deny that I may or may not be able to give you a title or two. There is one that I worked on called uh, Disaster Piece, which is a lot like Nobody Cares. Mm. Um, and start working on a song called Breaking Gina. Uh, we've got quite a few. I mean, Billy's just a little machine. He called me this morning at about eight o'clock. He goes, "Dude, <laughs> I got I got three more songs." I'm like. You're just going to wind up writing the whole record. He goes, no, no, no. <laughs> he gets so excited when he calls me. And he's like, mm. and he'll send me this stuff. 
And, and you know, I, I run an entertainment company during the day. So my email's coming in and I get, oh, there's a new song. Oh, there's another song. Oh, there's an email from the East Coast. I better answer that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, but another song. <laughs> just, it's like this big. And, oh, wow. and it's great because he's got so many great ideas, you know, and he's just full of energy. He, he reminds me of me when I was in my 20s. Uh, which was a while ago, um, because I was just so like, yeah, let's go, let's do this, you know. Mm. So that that's, that ties in very neatly with my next question, which is that um, with Eclipse, did you write the album and then invite contributions or collaborations from the other musicians? So in other words, can you tell me how it all sort of came together? I, you know, I, I like I said earlier, I mean, I'll bring the initial rough idea to the band. I'll say, what do you think of this? I'll give the lyrics to Dave. Dave will say, well, let's change this. Let's do this. Let's do that. And nobody cares. You mentioned earlier. Um, that is three different song ideas in one song. Mm-hmm. So that crunchy, heavy part was very, to me, very AIC, you know, very Soundgarden-like to dun, 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 and Metallica. So if you put that in a blender, right? Then the solo sections were branched off where we dropped from the D minor to up. Um, Bill's a great writer and he writes these really neat guitar passages and, and his style is more like a Nuno Betancourt and Eddie Van Halen, Warren D. Martini. And I'd fall more into the George Lynch, Steve Lukather kind of uh, Gary Moore kind of feel. So I'm more blues based, a little bit of jazz, but not a lot. And he's more, He's very technical, but he's got really good accuracy. And I'm sloppy like Jimmy Page, but I just try to get the point across. You know? um, so, yeah, I mean, that for that song, yeah, I think nobody cares. It's, yeah, that one, that's like three, four songs in one. Kind of like the first album, Love and War was just like one idea. And then we built the song out of that one idea and went backwards and forwards. It's weird how these songs come. I don't know. But I'll bring a lot of stuff, and I'm sorry if I'm babbling, but we'll just take it, and between the the five of us, we'll just come up with that nucleus, and then we'll polish it, and we'll fix it, and we'll move apart, or or Brian will say, well, why don't we do this? Why don't we drop this down, and why don't we play this twice? We're like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. I'm really excited about writing the new stuff with our new drummer, because he's very John Bonham. Oh, nice, yeah. Of course, he came... He came from a Zeppelin tribute band. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I would have to say he's probably next to Steve Bellino from Montrose and Leonard Hayes from YNT, probably the best drummer I've ever worked with. Mm-hmm. Just working with him so far, you know, and he's smart. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it always helps when you go, you're surrounded by intelligence, emotional, and the IQ type. You know, it's my dad said, surround yourself with people that can make you look like you know what you're doing. <laughs> I went, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's worked out. I mean, it's, it's, it's worked out over the, over the decades of mm. just trying to get great singers and great musicians. Now I'm proud of this record. You know, yeah. This one, justify yeah, it's, yeah. It's a cool one. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned, you like it. You, you may, 
I do. I love it. Yeah, it's great. As I say, I get sent plenty of stuff. But uh, your your album and another album from oh God, I'm going to stuff up their name now, Earth Slug or something, some ridiculous name to be honest with you. But not the music. The music is far from ridiculous. But this stuff just comes out of the woodwork. And I, you know, it's not my place to be annoyed. To be honest with you, when people say, "Hey, there's no good rock and metal around these days," I, I know it's bullshit. I mean, the amount of great stuff right. that I get sent, and you, your stuff is at the tip of the spear this month, certainly. I mean. It's, there's just so much creativity out there these days. It just doesn't get mainstream press attention. And the the opportunities afforded to rock and metal these days, we are at a point where rock and metal isn't even called rock and metal if you follow the Grammys or Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the inductees in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's, it's actually really a right. fan-driven thing. It's gone underground. I agree. And, and it's weird how – do you remember a few years ago – when all of a sudden there were so many different subcategories that came out to try to define metal. Mm -hmm. You had thrash metal, which to me, thrash metal was the early Megadeth and Metallica stuff yep. and Anthrax and Celtic Frost and stuff like that. Then you had goth metal. You had like 19 different versions of metal. To me, there was hard rock, heavy metal. Then there was the grunge era. And then everything got redefined again. So people took it and then you had the post grunge and then you had, you know, some really great bands came out, Disturbed, Godsmack, uh, mm -hmm. Shinedown, but Shinedown, I listened to a band like Shinedown and Brent is amazing. And his songwriting is great. You know, mm -hmm. um, that's probably one of my favorite new bands that came out in the last 20 years. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I, that's, you know, it's great that you like that music because I can't hear it in yours. Because it means that you're taking a very diverse array of sounds, you know, and you're absorbing them, and whatever's being filtered through, it's coming out in a killer album like Eclipse. And I never, I never understood also too the way the old guard. I've I've met people who still call Bruce Dickinson the new Iron Maiden singer. Unbelievable, right? I mean, you get these people that are so stuck in epochs, <laughs> and you think bands like Shine Down, Godsmack, even I've played Five Finger Death Punch on the music show. And I'll play them right. alongside of a rising force, for example. Now, I don't, I don't have, I, I don't know what people's genuine feelings are about these things, but the feedback I get is that they like that people like the diversity. So I think these days that people do have an open mind about things. You still get some people that are very much about the box and the image. When I say the box, they want the category. They want to say I'm into thrash or I'm into death metal or what have you. So I've, I've long just called it all rock and roll. To be honest with you, mate. It's just, just rock to me. Yeah, it's just rock and roll. From the Rolling Stones to Morbid Angel, to me, it's all just rock music. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I don't watch the Grammys much anymore. I, I kind of lost faith in it. It started, I think, when Jethro Tull won one best heavy metal record yeah. against Metallica. Ridiculous. Yeah. And then it seemingly kind of started to go downhill now you know i you know if the grammy people watch our show that i'm talking about right now well that's just 86 us out of a grammy but you know what <laughs> oh well it was a good run you know <laughs> thanks for being on the show you know um no the uh uh you know i'm just i'm like you i i mean it's all rock i mean i listen to country i listen to i listen to stuff that people go i can't believe you listen to that i said i can't listen to hard rock all day I'll go and listen to Sarah McLaughlin or, uh, boy, there's a Canadian singer. Amanda Marshall is one of my favorite singers. Her first album uh, is so good. And I'll listen to stuff like that. And then 
because it's great songwriting you know yeah. i love canadian singers i i don't know canadian female singers not that i'm you know attracted to canadian female singers but I, you know there's just something special about some of those singers that came out you know i still think uh, i remember my sister playing tapestry for me by carol king yeah that's one of the greatest records of all time and and this is a hard rock guitar player talking to you right now but you should you should listen to everybody because to me everybody has something to say it's how you interpret what they're telling you you know if you don't like it, well, you move on to the next track, you know, or move on to the next band. There's a lot of bands out there. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I have some of those those comments on my YouTube. Your opinion is wrong. I love that one. You have a wrong opinion, so this is the right opinion, <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, yeah. Have you listened? Have you read the lyrics of Nobody Cares yet? No, I haven't. Tell me. Go for well, it. Well, listen. Next time you get one of those comments, just go listen to the lyrics of nobody cares because it's about every troll asshole online that yeah. takes a shot at people you know i just swore on your your podcast sorry no you can swear away it's all right we are uh, not safe for oh, work. Well, we, are proudly, okay. we are proudly not safe for work <laughs> okay well that's good so it's not a safe harbor thing where we have to edit uh, the word asshole out of our song to play it on regular radio if we release it in the next single oh, so God. i'm okay with that whatever it takes no oh. Oh, I'm gonna have to move because the sun is sticking me right in the eye here. I don't know sure, if you see go that. I've got a. Yeah, we're, I can we're see, here yeah. in the. Uh, here's part of the property. There's the oh, lake, gotcha. and it's out there. And uh, let me find someplace. Uh, you know what? When I just slide back, I could step on the grill here. I'll just hold it. You sure? I'll try not hold to it. get my hand in there. There we go. Yeah, just on just on your point there about Canadian. Shantusas, I mean, Shania Twain, 20 years ago, she was one of the best looking women on the planet. She was, ex she just had it all Still going is. on. Yeah, you're right. She's, she's, God knows what age she is these days, but when she was in her 30s, Jesus, she was bloody something else. So I have to play, I play covers, right? So I have to play quite a bit of the music. So I do watch the videos just to see what's going on. And um, yeah, uh, she, she had an illness there for a bit or chronic fatigue or something affected her. And then she went away. But she, uh, the recent performances I've seen her, to your point, man, she still looks great. Still got a killer voice too. Which song are you jamming on with your band? Uh, is it Who's Better Boots Been Under? Is it uh, Man, I Feel still Like a the Woman's one? a big one. Still the one. Man, I Feel Like a Woman, they're the two. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the big hits. Um, From this moment, I've never seen so many girls cry at one time in a bar that when from this moment came on and they're all weeping going, Oh my God, it's going to be my wedding song. It's yeah. like, yeah, you'll be divorced in seven years. You know, <laughs> that and to be with you, they're the two big songs, aren't they? I mean, they're just, as soon as you put them on, you see the women go, oh, and they just look. Run, well, don't come they? on over. It was a great record. And mud Lang produced that record too. You yes. know, yeah. mud from ACDC and, and Def Leppard. And people were like, Oh my God, mud Lang played, uh, produced Shania Twain. I said, listen to what he did yeah it's just amazing he much a genius you know robert mud lang was a genius i'm just going to check i think mud lang also did megadeth's um albums as well um i'm sure he i'm sure he did anyway uh i could be wrong um but um or maybe it was his brother dan huff now i might have been having confused with dan huff i think megadeth got a country singer in so i've got it around the wrong way but yeah i mean he's to your point um mud lang i mean Shania is actually a rock singer. 
and she needed that kind of treatment. I right. think if you treated her the same way, you, you, they would go. I know it's the same audience, Mariah Carey, for example. But you're going to produce an Good album, singer. yeah, hey, unbelievable singer. Don't like the songs much, to be honest with you. But the songs that, as a singer. I would have loved to have seen her with a rock and roll, like, you know, a full-on rock and roll band like you guys, to just doing one song, just to see how it goes. Putting uh, Lee Aaron in a country yeah. spotlight. Remember mm. Lee Aaron yeah, from Canada? Yeah. There it is with the Canadian girls again. All right, mm. there you go. Um, <laughs> well, putting Mariah Carey in front of Metallica. Of course, the Metallica people would be, like, swinging from the shower curtains if that happened. Mm. Um but, uh, yeah, I, I could hear it because she has such a great voice. I mean, I just love great singers, you know. I, yeah. I, I love guitarists that don't have to say too much. They say uh, what they need to say without trying to be over the top with it to try to make a statement. I think those days are gone. I mean, trying to be a guitar hero went out about 19, well, you know, I'm sure someone will, they'll go like this. I'll go, oh, the guitarist is wrong saying that. Um, about 89, 91, I think oh, the guitar exactly hero went, went away. Out. You know, yeah. uh, you know, exactly. I think, uh, you know, I mean, uh, Satriani lived on. Gary Moore was fantastic. Look what Dan Huff did. I mean, Dan mm -hmm. Huff had the those three giant records, and then he went on to become a uh, country music producer in Nashville, where yeah. he originally came from. A lot of people didn't know Dan Huff was a studio wizard musician out in Los Angeles, just trying to cut his teeth doing all the studio stuff as a hired gun. Um, and then he, yeah. you know, wow, you know, that's why I think Nashville and I think country music and rock started to blend together because I think all of the hard rock dudes said, well, this grunge thing is kind of crushing my groove maybe we should do this <laughs> and they brought all the heavy guitar parts to country and now you've got new country which some of it's really good and some of it sounds a lot like you know yeah you're on point um keith urban from kabulcha you know the, the i suppose he's a country artist but he was a he was a rock artist first and then he switched right. over um but he was he's from yeah just up the road here and uh he he started out playing bars and pubs around town, playing rock music, and I think his first album under his his name is actually a rock music album. I don't think it's a it's a country album. Could be wrong. I haven't dived into it too deeply, but I do know that he was originally a rock guy. And and just to your point there about shredders, yeah, that whole thing ended in 1991. The last prominent person to come from that movement, I think the last one was Nuno Betancourt from Extreme. Um, and then, and That's then you Nuno or John Petrucci. Yeah. John Petrucci guys. would be another one, you know. Yeah. Th those yeah. guys, yeah. Nuno would, yeah. I, I have to agree with Nuno, yeah. Yeah. He reminds me of Nuno. He reminds me of a young Nuno with all of his exuberance and happiness and, and spunk. And then he's like, hey, check this out. And he does some guitar like, and I just go, yeah, it's great. I can't play that. Go ahead. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. You can have too. all that stuff. But you know, you know about Nuno. The last prominent gig that he had was with Rihanna, of all people. Have you seen that? Have you seen the the Oprah videos that he's been no, in? No, I haven't. No, I, I, in, I'll have to look that up. That's it's crazy. He's playing power chords in Rihanna's band. But I mean, look, he's you know, you got to you got to pay the alimony somehow, haven't you? You got to pay the rent. You know, <laughs> you know I think yeah. a very famous singer from Midnight Oil said that. It's time to pay the rent, even though it wasn't about that, you know. 
I played that song many times as well. Yeah, Beds Are Burning by Midnight Oil, Peter Garrett. Do you still, yeah. do you still play it? Do I played it <laughs> last Friday night. In the night. cover band, do you still do it? Yeah, we still – it's an Australian song. It's, it's an Australian a big dance song, So, yeah, it's – um, it's like it's. I would. I would argue in Australia, it's as popular as something like um, uh, "Long Way to the Top" by ACDC. It's held at that that level, but it's got a political message to it too. So that sort of turns some people off. But I don't give a shit. I don't even agree with the politics, to be honest with you. But the no, I the let song it go. Is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, I think. Well, Beds of Burning was was about uh, global warming, wasn't it? If no, I'm land, right? land rights. Isn't that about? But land, land rights, rights and, and yeah, okay. Aboriginal, or, or, you know, there, there are all these treaties okay. and things that are going on in Australia with Aboriginal Australians, a bit like the Indian reservation thing. Um, you know, time to pay the rent, times of, you know, fair's fair, this sort of thing. Um, but unfortunately, Peter, uh, like so many of them, mate, a lot of them are these hardcore lefties and they adopt these Marxist principles, if you like. Maybe not Peter, but a lot of the people in that in that complex, if you like, that industrial complex. And um, they try to insert themselves to become... To get access to funds, mate. Uh, the I know this is a tangent, but the uh, the no, go ahead, knock yourself out. It's fine. The indigenous industry in Australia is worth more than thirty-three billion dollars of public oh, money annually. That's a lot of money. Oh, it's it's ridiculous, mate. And um, you've got Aboriginal senators these days who are saying this is you know the the way things are being funded aren't leading to outcomes and. Because they're not leading to outcomes, we've got exceptional amounts of domestic violence occurring in communities, high high rates of alcoholism, just massive dysfunction. So where is this money going to? They're quite rightly pointing that out. And, of course, the people on the left don't like these Indigenous people who, you know, they would self-identify as black as they clearly are. They put them down and say that they're wrong and et cetera, and they use even race, racial pejoratives, coconut, things like that. It's same thing happens uh, in the States. It's all just fucked up, mate. Yeah, it does. Well, I mean, you mentioned that. I mean, David actually, David's a real strong supporter of the Native Americans and what happened to the Native Americans. Uh, he brought the he brought the lyrics to a song that Billy wrote, um, and uh, why well, I can't think of our song title, um, "Trail of Tears." <laughs> You guys can punch me at rehearsal. Yeah. Okay. Um, Trail of Tears. Uh, that that whole song is about the the Native Americans. And if you look through the lyrics and you read about it, you're like, "Wow, that really did happen." And you just kind of go, and it's sad because a lot like what you're saying with the Aborigine. Uh, you know, there's a lot of alcoholism, drug abuse, drug addiction. Um, there's, you know, girls go disappear. They disappear from the uh, from the reservations all the time. Yeah. They don't find them. Mm -hmm. You know, there's people. Uh, our our newscast here in the states that we watch did a, a special about all the missing girls from the from the re, from the reservations that are nobody's found them. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows where they went. You know, and it's sad. You know. But where, yeah, where, are the, where are the where are the left wing activists, the people who apparently you know the Black Lives Matter movement, all this sort of stuff? These movements that are really just political movements, they're not actually addressed today. They're not aimed at addressing outcomes, about delivering outcomes for people. They're about sloganeering and about standing on soapboxes and virtue signalling and making sure you have right speak on Twitter, this sort of thing. I and mean, it's it's fucking disgusting. We're at a point now where 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 Aboriginal in Australia, where Aboriginal life expectancy is declining. 
despite all of this money going That's into sad. these programs, it's declining. Probably the same thing's happening with Native Americans too. And so the question well, is, it's not a, just it's, that. Yeah. Well, it's been hijacked by by the left. These issues have been hijacked by the left, and they've become very much about identity. So you know, where Marx talks about. A class, you insert what he talks about, you replace with what he talks about with class, with identity. And, you know, if you're a straight white male, you and I, shut up. You don't have an opinion. You're not allowed to, except for when right. you're espousing left-wing talking points. You know, and, and uh, not to go too political, but, yeah, I, I have to say that identity politics plays a, a huge role in the States. It's it's huge. Um and I just, you know, I look back and I think of the days of when could we elect people who actually just went in there and just did the job? Where did it go wrong? And I can't pinpoint it because I'm not a political scientist, right? I'm not poli-sci, but somewhere there was where everything kind of started to divide, like, two different tribes, mm. you know, and the division happened. And that's sad. I mean, there were moments, you know, where you just kind of go, wow, remember when we used to get stuff done? Now they can't even balance a budget in the States. No. They still no, don't have a balanced budget. I mean, it's like... <laughs> Oh, I know. I have and to that, live on a budget, you know. But they say that that doesn't matter. In the, the Democrats are saying in the states it doesn't matter. And the other thing that they're doing through their media mouthpieces is they're redefining what a recession is. It's no longer two consecutive quarters of negative, not growth, but negative decline. Now they're redefining it, and they're just saying it's a re readjustment of the economy or what have you. It's fucking lies. It's just straight up lies. <clears throat> Meanwhile, petrol or gas prices, as you call them, are rising. The cost of living overall is going through the bloody roof. Access to real jobs, which gives stability, and that's the key thing, is the quality of the job you're able to get access to is declining. And the same issues are happening here in Australia. We're basically the same these days. There's very much the same issues, same economic forces, same same political agendas are, are at play. And I, I just, yeah, you've got to wonder, like, how the hell did we get to this point? You know, I, and I, I don't want to point a finger at the pandemic, but the pandemic was a tipping point for a lot of the stuff to come. And it just, it feels something to me. And again, I'm not pointing, right? Uh, something still doesn't feel right about this whole situation, you know? I mean, I had it. I had COVID. I had it for 13 days, Right. You guys, your your entire continent was shut down, wasn't it? Yeah. Then they just they shut it all down. So in the states, it was worse. Than that was some like, dark times for eighteen months. Oh, it was, it was horrific, mate. I, I can tell you, there's not been one person that I've spoken to from the state of Victoria, which is probably similar to, to New York, I suppose, in terms of his politics and the like and makeup. Um, the state of New York. Um, and who hasn't told me that the pandemic quietly? They don't want it broadcast, but. They tell me, yeah, it was fucked. It was horrible. We were locked up for months on end, it turned out, for a disease that has, uh, uh, has, what, sorry, the word escapes me. It kills people, something like 0. 0.000, insert a bunch of zeros 1% of the time, okay? Now, there were countries and states in the states like Florida, 
uh, but there were countries like Sweden that managed to get through it not unscathed. People did die. There's no doubt about it. But that's where it became political. It's like you don't want anybody to die, do you? Listen, if you want to take that view, you wouldn't drive cars. How many people get killed by by, by vehicles each year? And then you might even go on to say alcohol. You know, do you supply alcohol knowing people can get behind the wheel before their breath lies and drive a car? But they politicised it. They they went nuclear with this one topic. To your point, and it was a binary issue. It was you're either support. The fact that we you either love your fellow neighbor and you don't want them to get sick and you take this view, which is a left-wing view, or you're on the other side and you're a Trump asshole or what have you. And, and right. yeah, we're just not we're just not out of it yet. And it's ridiculous. And and you got a political system. So, so it's a bit different to ours, yours. But you know, any political system that throws up the two candidates like it did in 2016 needs to be seriously checked between Trump and and bloody Clinton. I mean, you. I think that's when I noticed a tipping point, like well before the pandemic. I, you know, bit of a long one here, but I just finish on this point here. No, go ahead. That's yeah. fine. I I thought if you your great country, the greatest country that's ever been in the history of the of civilization, the United States. Okay, this is where it could end. Okay, between these two fucking idiots that you you have to pick between these two here and i'm not even blaming trump for it okay but the fact that he's able to get elected based on the dislike people could see straight through the clintons they are disgusting just vulgar okay and trump is a lot better on in many respects but he certainly isn't someone that in ordinarily you would compare to say some of the great presidents of your time eisenhower truman this sort of thing um Kennedy. even Kennedy, Kennedy, yeah, Kennedy. I mean, and you think, Trump, how the hell did he get here? But then you look at the long road that the country and Western civilization in general has been on, okay, and you go, this is how this happens. But, you know, Jordan Peterson's covered a lot of this sort of stuff, and there are renowned yeah, thinkers Yeah, I enjoy Jordan. Yeah, Jordan, yeah Jordan's I enjoy fantastic. watching. Jordan's great. Yeah, Jordan's great. Jordan is about one of the most real people to listen to hmm. because he's just right there. He doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't coddle. He just says what he feels, you know, and his accuracy is, is pretty spot on at times. So yeah, Dr. Dr. Peterson, pretty, pretty brilliant. You know, I, I, I know what you're saying about that whole situation because all of us in the family, it was like, okay, do you vote for the lesser of two evils. Yeah. What, you know what I mean? It was just like, okay. And there were things I, I see personally, I love Trump's economy. As a person, couldn't stand them. Never could. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So many I, people I got tired of the category. Clintons. I, yeah. I just got tired of the Clintons. You know, I got tired of it. I mean, it was like my fellow Americans were going to do. You know, come on. You know, he, he had some great things that he did, but every president has great things and then bad mm -hmm. things, and then the bad things, unfortunately, and the human psyche, the bad things outweigh the good things, and you know, yeah. me, I'm right in the middle. I. I I can't go right or left. I just try to stay right down the center and listen to both sides and form my own opinion. And that's the only way it can be. Because if you, the minute you say something, there's always someone online that's going to, you know, attack you or try to cancel you. So, you know what? I don't even talk about politics. I mean, I, I wrote a song about politics and the first album called Yesterday's Hell. That whole thing is, is dedicated to the Gulf War and how the, uh, how our, our soldiers came back and they had nowhere to live and nobody was taking care of them. That whole yeah. thing is, 
line for line on the first album you know that's as political as i got hmm. i try yeah. i try not to do it because you know i don't want to it's not that i don't want to offend anybody but i don't want the music business is so fragile that it would be great if people really said man i want to find something i can be behind and not go yeah i'm just waiting for him to screw up so i can hate him hmm. you know what i mean it's just like people are just waiting there with that enter button you know yeah which is sad so how do we get here Andrew, how did we get here <laughs> I, I, I yeah, well, I, I, I despair at times because you know, like you, you've no doubt got a family as as I certainly do, and and you do you do get a bit concerned about the world you're leaving for your grandchildren at this point, you know, um, and and you start to think, okay, because you know, you've got these psychopaths at the um, uh, what is it? Not the World Health Organization, is it Davos? These people. Um, the point's not going to make any sense now, but the the German individual whose name I can't, uh, New Schwaben Schwaben. That's he. Whoever, whoever, whatever organization he represents, and it's a figurehead for, talked about you will own nothing and you will be happy. What the hell? Like, what do you Sounds mean like you will own nothing? <laughs> it's socialism. It's just socialism. It's just all yeah, someone's got to say, own isn't it. it? Is that something that Lenin said many years ago or Stalin? I mean, it sounds yeah. like very Karl Marx, like by saying that, you know? Um, yeah, it just look at us going off on a tangent. We're talking about rock and roll, and here we are. The great reset. Oh, <laughs> look, it's cool. Yeah. It's like you know what? <laughs> it's like two guys sitting down at the bar just having a beer. Uh, of course, me, I don't drink, but maybe you do. I, you know. Um, but yeah, and I'm sporting a Guinness shirt that my buddy brought back from Ireland for me. Oh, that's cool, mate. That's just a good paradox. I like that because you you can still rep and not drink. You know, I mean, you still support the brand. Twenties. What is it? Why, well, you know, Guinness, you know, if I did drink, it would be that beer. Mm. Um, but I haven't, I haven't any alcohol for this is my 27th year now being sober. So I used to be pretty just... good at it. That's what the, uh, you know, the judge told me it'd be a good idea to maybe dial it back. And I did, oh, really? you know, yeah. not that yeah. I did anything really stupid, but it was stupid enough to say, yeah, I'll, I'll go to AA, I'll quit. Here's your money. And I'll live with uh, the consequences for a couple of years on probation. It was, you know, it was a wake up call. I was, uh, I can look back after doing a little personal inventory. Yeah, I was an asshole. So I'm glad I'm not an asshole anymore. Although I probably have people who disagree, you know, well, he can, he has asshole tendencies. Well, maybe, I think we all do, but not as bad as they were to say 26, 27 years ago, you know? Yeah. So. Did you find the process of giving up? Did it happen over a long period of time, or were you able to do it fairly quickly? Um, first month was the hardest. It was, you know, because you you know you have to disassociate yourself with the places you went and the people you used to hang out with, and you had to find those triggers that made you want to drink. Um, so it it was a process. You know, I got my three month, my six month, my one year, then a five year, then a 10 year, a 20 year. Um, should have picked up my 25 and 26 year medallions, but I just, I started going to the meetings and I kind of went, I, you know, I, I don't need to do this anymore. I'm fine. You know, yeah. uh, once, uh, you know, it, it's about having willpower. You know, if you have the willpower to stop, 
or start or do something. It's all about your intestinal fortitude. If you put your mind to it, you can do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I blame my Irish heritage. You see, um, it's it's just or uh, drinking. I've got to say, I've never I've got touch wood. You know, I've never had anything happen whilst I'm drunk. But I, I try. I've tried to. Give, I've given up for like three months stints. And to be honest with you, life just wasn't as as interesting and as exciting, which is why I started drinking again. But I mean, I'm talking like once or twice a week. I'm not talking like daily or anything like that. And that's I've spoken to a doctor about it and. You know, ideally you'd have none, you'd do what you're doing, but I don't know. You know, if it shaves a year or two off your life, mate, as long as the years that you've lived are full of life and love and happiness and joy and the pursuit of things that are meaningful, like conversations like this, I think you've, you've done a pretty Well, it's a great job. conversation, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I just think, and I'm not, a, I'm not an expert on it, but, you know, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do any drugs. I'm like granola. Is what I am, you know. I'm like a whole oat granola now, and I run into people, and I've lost friends over the uh, over the years here in the music business that never stopped, and I've had to go to their funerals, and mm-hmm. you know, you've had those come to Jesus talks with your friends and said, you know, you should probably stop, and it's like, well, you don't know what you're talking about. I said, well, okay, you know, I uh, I could have slid into a family of six if I hadn't stopped, you know, so. Yeah. Um, that's a hard thing is watching your musician, your musician buddies pass away because they never stopped using drugs or alcohol. A lot of funerals in the last 10 years, okay. uh, too many to go to. I know it sounds horrible, but you know, I, I asked my dad uh, when he was alive, I said, how come you don't go to all your friends funerals anymore? And he said, cause there's so many of them, you know, I can't, I, I'd have to take a whole week off of work, you know, to do it. And I'm like, okay, I get it. You know? So yeah, boy, this is this has gone round and round. Huh? It's been a great. It's like the two of us are just sitting in the living room. Well, actually, you're in the living room, and I'm out on this this uh, brick thing that we're still paying for. Oh, it's it's <laughs> awesome. And look, I've said this so many times on the show that it's it's the seasoned pros like you, the people that have lived enough life to have perspective but have still got skin in the game. These are my favourite conversations because we can go anywhere with them. It's uh, unfortunately, particularly with some of the local Australian acts, the younger guys, um, I've got to just stick to the music and that's that's fine. It's what it's about. But it's not just what it's about. You know, we're humans and we have, have to all, we're all bound to this human experience. So we all experience life in different ways and I think it is worth talking about, whether it be politics or abstaining from alcohol. Well, that and, and, you know, songs, the greatest therapy that's free is being able to sit down and write it down. You know, if you sit down and you can pen out a song, I mean, I've written songs about personal experiences, uh, like going back to the first album, Black Eyed Susie, that's about my divorce, you know, mm. and the kid, you know, it's about a divorce. I mean, it's about that situation, you know, or Undertow on that album, the title track that's about my journey i finally wrote a song about the journey through alcoholism and the darkness you know and that touched a lot of people people actually came on and said wow i can really relate to that i said cool you know um and then love and war we've all been through that you go to our new album i mean nobody cares deals with internet uh idiots you know and one in particular i'm not going to name them um or uh shame the same thing. It cancel culture is full of vultures. They all want a piece of me. You know, I mean, that whole thing is about 
the destruction of the human condition of being able to have a conversation like you and I are having a conversation right now, mm. people would rather just text. They'd rather email. They just, it's like that face-to-face. And I feel bad for you know the younger generation because they're growing up thinking that this is the norm. When we grew up, we went out and played. We hung out. We got all of us together. We had conversation. None of us had cell phones. I mean, my grandkid has got a cell phone. He's seven. I'm like, <laughs> what is this? You know, does he even know how to dial? You know, I mean, yeah. but no video games. So I mean, yeah, I just, it's just this. Um, I'm a big digital minimalist when it comes to yeah. it. When I'm done with the phone, I'm done with the phone. You know, I don't spend all day on social media. I don't, you know, sit and. I mean, I, I work on a computer. But I get up and I walk around and I put the phone on airplane mode and I come out in the backyard. I listen to birds, you know, mm-hmm. take my dogs out, go out to my horses. Well, it's kind of been hard with my horses. I don't know if Chip told you. I had a little bit of an accident on stage. Oh, wow. Got the moon boot on. <laughs> yeah. Got the moon boot on. I look like I'm RoboCop. It's RoboLand, <laughs> you know. Um no, I just turned. We were on. We were playing a festival with. It was the same festival with Brett Michaels and Tommy DiCarlo from Boston. That's the guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was same night. About six, seven songs in, I did that weird spin move I've done since I was nineteen. And I pivoted, went back to go get to David out on the on the pier because the stage went out. It was great because it went out over the crowd. And I, I planted, and then I got to the other foot, and it felt like somebody hit me with a hockey stick. And I wound up tearing uh, a gastrocnemius and a soleus in my left foot from my calf down to my ankle. Hmm. So I've had this boot on for three weeks, you know, but physical therapy is helping. Hopefully I'll be able to stand at the next two shows, you know. Oh, God. Well, you can always get that that throne that Dave Grohl gave to uh, Axel. You know that one? Have you seen that? That was pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah, I I saw that, yeah. Yeah, and a friend of mine at the music store it said, hey, you can get the Dave Grohl thrown. I said, is that on Amazon? Because, I mean, I got an Amazon account. I could. Let's I wonder how much that is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a little bit too much money. Yeah. Oh, well, that's that's. Uh, I'm impressed. Yeah. So he finished the show. I mean, he finished the show. That was yeah. pretty cool. You know? Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot. I, I've spoken to a bloke uh, in Australia who, who was uh, part of the entourage, if you like, that toured Australia with Axel when Gunners were coming through a few years back, and uh, he assures me that Axel's public perception is at odds with what he's like as a bloke on the road. Um, you know, the the, the hell-raising days are well behind him, and there's a lot of stories out there around about, you know, what he got up to in the 90s and stuff and the excess of that band, let's face it. But these days it's just a well-oiled machine, and Axel's fairly cool, calm, and collected from what I hear. Yeah, I wish I'd, I'd have seen him on the last tour, but the ticket prices were so expensive. I just said uh, no, and I just – I'm not one of those guys who wants to call in a favor to get tickets from somebody I know. Oh. Yeah, I just don't do that. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be a fanboy or, or you know, try to, you know, cause you know, bands got to get paid, even though they're getting paid a lot, you know, the broker, the promoter, everybody's got to get paid for that. I don't want to get freebies, mm. you know, um, yeah, I could have, but I think it was 1991 or 92. They played the target center in Minneapolis and he didn't, go on stage until probably quarter to one in the morning, I think. Yeah. It may have been earlier. Um, but there was a city ordinance. They had to get the concert over. They weren't done until three o'clock in the morning. 
there were riots and that was the when guns and they were having some real problem i think that was the usually illusion one and two tour yep so that was the last one and i kind of said yeah that's it no. <laughs> were you at that gig were you no i sent my uh i sent the kid's mom to that gig with her friends and then oh, wow. she didn't get home till about four o'clock in the morning and i was just like okay <laughs> and then she explained the whole situation i was like yeah and then i was friends with wendy and ingresano from uh geffen records at the time because i was working with those people and indirectly it wasn't anything music i didn't have a record deal or anything with geffen but I knew wendy and wendy warned me she said those guys are are pretty tough right now on the road you might not want to go backstage so i she goes but you know i'm sending you some tickets and i said well i'm not gonna be able to go um so i put them in my wife's name at the time and they went with her friends i mean i could have gone i could have called bob at rose and said hey can i get some extra tickets but i didn't want them so yeah i just i don't like again i don't like calling in favors if it's offered sure you know but most of the time if it's offered i'll i'll pass them off you know for someone who couldn't afford to go i'd rather be humanitarian this was i've got to tell you lenny uh, uh this is unexpected in a very very lovely way in a very positive way um i well, live I, I do this for these sorts of conversations can you believe it meaning that these are the ones that i enjoy the most they're just they're rare because they're just you're often on, I'm often on a treadmill and you know what, what's the next one I think Rob Flynn from Machine Head can you imagine what that conversation it won't be anything like this one that's for <laughs> sure yeah um because he's a bit of a lefty and I've said some things about him on the show actually and I think people are going to be a bit surprised that I've uh, got the opportunity to talk to him but I don't shy away from talking to anybody except for a few like the man of war guys I wouldn't touch uh, except for Ross, Ross is fantastic, and don't really Ross consider the him. boss. Yeah, he's just a—he's a lovely fella, and he's been screwed over by fucking uh, Joey. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, ever since that car, that's sad. I mean, it's just sad how that. And I just remember—I don't know if I told you—I know you got to get going. I, You're right. Um, I, I got an opportunity to do an album with with Leonard from Y and T, and Y and T was huge in the states not as big as i think they could have been but big enough to set at one time the marquee attendance record wow. surpassing the stones at one time so leonard and i did a record and uh that was one thing about we we became really good friends before he passed away and he told me the just some of the publishing horror stories you know where he and joey thought that they should have gotten more credit on songs and they did and nothing against dave i see dave uh I, I think I saw the band in the last five years, but that was the first time I'd seen Dave in probably 25 years, you know? Mm. Um, but just again, like I, like I told you earlier, you know, make it fair. It keeps everybody interested. Mm. The minute you start making someone feel like they don't, they're not as important as the other, that's when they either start to stray or they start to get a really bad attitude. And when I hear stories about people losing their publishing or, or getting screwed over, you know, you hear it about management. There's a band in Minneapolis, uh, Semisonic had a huge hit called Closing Time, which oh, yeah. was big. It was a big yeah. hit, right? Those guys didn't make anything. That was the biggest hit in the world at one time. And they didn't yeah. make anything because the record company just kept keeping them in debt. You know, one of the guys said they kept going to all these parties and they have these huge spreads of food yeah. and then one day he said well who pays for this he goes well you guys do it's like 
you know. It's a criminal organ. It's a criminal or the way that they do things is criminal. It's like a bikey gang. You know, you hear the stories about bikey gangs, right? You get invited to the clubhouse to play as a band and they put out a spread for you. It's the same thing. You think, oh, this is what I've heard, okay? I haven't done it. I was in a band years ago with a bloke who understood how it worked and yeah, he told me you never accept gig, you never accept, it wouldn't happen these days anyway because bikies are very different. But back in the day, you accept a gig from a bikey club you go to the clubhouse, they put in a spread for you, beer, alcohol, maybe whatever else you want, and uh, you think it's just given to you as a nice gesture. They call it in. Next time they got a show on or something like that, they call it in and say, hey, you owe us because we gave you all of this mm-hmm. stuff and you took it all. So, and, I, and I've had mates confirm that just even when they've just been associates or whatever and they've just turned up and, and hung out at the club or what have you. But my point is, is that that's what the record industry, the music industry can be like, isn't it? You don't know whose dime things are on until you ask. What it used to be like. I mean, what it used to be like. I think, you know, since the advent of MP3 technology and Napster and all of that, I think it all, it all changed at that point yeah. where everything suddenly, you know, a lot of record companies either merged or dissolved or they became part of the big conglomerate. Mm. Now, most of the deals you get these days, you're pretty much doing everything your own yeah. and they handle your distribution for you, you know, um, or it's a 360 deal where yeah. you still do everything, but they get a piece of everything. Yeah. You know, it's way lows. different. And there's yeah. a lot of competition out there right now. A lot of competition. You know, the only the only thing that I've seen that really gives you an advantage is uh, is a razor sharp social media strategy, someone who understands how to do that. That's that seems to be the difference because there's a lot of average bands that tend to get a lot of attention because they cover a Kylie Minogue song or a Taylor Swift song or whatever, and that's the gimmick. I'm just saying I don't know for a fact that bands cover these uh, these artists, but I'm saying they do things like that and they turn it into a TikTok video. Okay, and that gets a million views or what have you. I don't know how much of that then translates into a fan base, though. But that's certainly what what goes on. Well, to, I, you know, I guess I I look at that and I, I say, well, how do you build your fan base then? Because if you're really big today, and for that two weeks or three weeks, and then all of a sudden you don't have something to follow it up. Mm. See, it's just unfortunately we're in a consumption society everybody wants something new all the time they want this they want that you know that's why facebook is so addictive i mean it's yeah. based on las vegas gambling principles that's why they created that screen so you pull it down to get a fresh new screen 100 you know what i mean what you just said. it's yep. yeah yep. so i mean uh, you know you get addicted to it and if you're putting your music out in front of the eyeballs i mean we're in the attention economy now we're not so much in the listening economy yeah the listening economy is almost secondary to the attention economy that's why i think news stories come out on on the major you know the cnn's and the foxes and all that and the msnbc's they come out they want the crushing headline because all of a sudden you're laser focused on it yeah. well then it dies off you know, and then they're on to the next crushing headline. Yep. Kind of, in a way, it's kind of like the music business. It's like, I'm really blessed that our band spent eight weeks on Billboard. Mm. I, you know, you dream of that as a kid. You know, it's kind of like my fantasy was to be on ES, uh, ESP Guitars website one day. <laughs> well, it came true. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Finally yeah. came true, you know, it took a while. But, yeah, it's it's just really nice to be in company with, you know, James Heffield and George Lynch and people like that, you know, Kirk Hammett, you know, people that have made their mark in the music business. I feel very 
honored, you know, it's, I probably use their guitars, you know, not that it's a plug, I'm not trying to get a plug in, but, you know, it's things like that, you know, you have to work for it. I mean, I, our band's out there trying to gain fans. We don't care if it's 100 people, 10 people, 1,000. Well, some of these Tesla shows, I think we're sold out. I think we we're close to, I think there were 7,500 at one of them, 25, 35, sold a lot of merch, you know, that's awesome. sold a lot of CDs. So making friends and fans, but that's like old school. I mean, a lot of people forget. I mean, bands like The Police went out in a station wagon and played everywhere across the country promoting that until Roxanne hit. Mm. You know, I now these days a lot of bands have to buy their way onto these tours. You know? Yes. Yeah, so, I hear about that. Yeah. Well, I think your success think is old school. Yeah, old school, but I think if you plug away long enough, good things happen and your intentions and your motives are, uh, you, you've got solid integrity behind them and you do, of course. I mean, appearing on an ESP website alongside of those guitarists you mentioned, Kirk Hammett and James Hetfield and those guys there, man. I mean, I, I just think it's just desserts for, you know, this killer album, um, a killer attitude too to bring the music to the people. That's the other thing. And authenticity shines through and it certainly does with the clips. Well, thank you. I'm glad you like it. You know, I'm, I'm glad you're digging the record, but we're, we're really proud of it when we finished it. And we said, wow, this is, this is great. And then the video hitting over 65,000 views, yeah. I think it's close to 66,000 now, you know, we're going to shoot the next video here as soon as I get healed up, you know, of course I won't be running around on stage or doing any of those cool <laughs> moves. Uh, probably just be standing there all stoic, you know, with some, Rock Mick pose Mars. like Richie yeah, Blackmore. Richie, Richie Blackmore's or Mick Mars, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mick just stood there and played, but you know what? That was okay because that's all he had to do because he had the other guys that were very animated. You know, same yeah. with Richie. You know, look at Ian Gillen running back and forth in Deep Purple and Dio. And, and yeah, I, I guess if there was one concert I wish I'd have seen, I wish I'd have seen Rainbow with Graham Bonnet. Yeah. You know, that would have been Graham, neat. Graham's a good guy. On the too, Down to Earth tour. If you've spoken to Graham before, you, you'll know him. Yeah, he's a fantastic fan. No, I never have, but I've been a fan for a long time. I, I wasn't a fan of the record. I wasn't a fan of the Alcatraz stuff as much as I was, you know, his solo, his new solo stuff is great. Have you heard that? Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. I uh, That's great stuff. You know, I hope he comes to the States, you mm. know. Well, he's doing, I think he's doing stuff with Michael Schenker as well. Uh and so he's he's certainly got it going on, Graham. Just but he's he's one of those guys. He's a bit like um, oh, who's the oh, Glenn Hughes? Him and Glenn Hughes, they're they're just champions. You know, they've both been through the absolute ringer with it, but they come out the other side intact. Right. Yeah, I missed the Shanker tour where he had uh, Gary Barden and uh, Robin McCauley and Graham Bonnet. Yeah, I thought yep, there was Robin's another guy. Too. Yeah, right. Have you spoken to Robin no. or do you know him? No, our singer knows him. Yeah, he's an awesome guy. Yeah, you know, I Vegas. think Robin's a, yeah, that's where David, I think, knew him from yeah. was Vegas, you know. Yeah. Good guy. Yeah, David, All those guys David, are great. Well, how do you, um, it, it's awesome that you do interviews like this and it's it's nice to be in an interview situation with someone where it's just a very relaxing kind of a table talk conversation, you know, oh, where thanks. it's not, yeah. well, here's question three, here's question four. Oh, I you hate know? that. It's, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's I'm, more, it's just more natural to do it this way. It's great. But yeah, this is what we're doing here is just so rare. I, I listened to, 
I guess this is my hobby. I mean, it doesn't, it's not a, you know, I get a few hundred bucks from Google or whatever, but it's nothing to bank on. You know, it might make, I get, you know, get the kids' toys or whatever with the money that I get from them. Who cares? You know, I don't, I don't even register it, you know, um, doesn't even register to come in. I got a job. So that's, that's where my money comes from. But the, um, these sort of conversations, people, I find people in my position are afraid to have chats. Okay. And I base that on observation, not because I've spoken to people myself, but yeah, to your point, they just, it's all, this is question one, and then it'll lead on into this and ah, 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 all these over-exaggerated laughter and stuff and and like unnecessary humour, unnecessary like forced humour. And I, I, there aren't, some of them are unlistenable. It's either that or in the podcast scenario, they give you, like they make you wait up to 15 minutes before you actually get to the chat. And I, like Jamie Jaster's doing that these days from Hatebreed. I mean, he's one of the OGs, the original gangsters of what we're doing here. And his show has just morphed into this behemoth where he's just advertising bullshit to you. I can't even buy the stuff here in Australia. So he's got a global audience, yet it's tailored. Yet his advertising is tailored specifically for the American uh, fan base. That's fair enough. But for someone like me listening to it, it's like I, I couldn't do that to people. I don't even ask for money for people like through Patreon or GoFundMe or what have you. I've just I've, people have actually rung me, not rung up, but messaged me and said, "Hey, we want to support you monthly. Where can I give you five dollars a month?" And I said, "Don't worry about it. Just go and buy. If we ever catch up, buy me a beer. That's it." Um, if we ever come to Australia, my my bass player will sit down and chug one down with you. Cool. Oh, I, I really wish That'd you guys... That'd be neat to get out there. I mean, it would be great, you know? Yeah, well, there's another band that Chip looks looks after that I really like as well called Voodoo Moonshine. And, um, great band. Yeah, you guys would just make a, a killer... You know, imagine that, you guys both coming down here. I know it'd be difficult you to know, do that. You know, they're on our but... roster. They're on our roster for my company. So I run an entertainment company here when I'm not uh, playing Rockstar. Yeah. So I'm... <laughs> I'm uh, out there trying to book tours and uh you know jeff and i have talked about that and even the record label you know we're both on the same label mm. um but boy can that dude sing holy cow what a singer what Pedro. a great band i mean yeah. it's just grungy and Pedro is just so good you know and uh they're just um they're just just dirty good rock and roll you know it's uh, no no punches pulled it's just it's just right there you know i love well, that I it's like the, yeah like the every mother's nightmare record resurrect the faithful hmm. people are thinking oh is it like love will make you blind no not even close listen to it it's like dirty memphis rock and roll you know i i love that kind of stuff from yeah. the heart music and, and voodoo's great at that too you know yeah, I've spoken to Jeff and Pedro actually for the show, um, and uh, both good guys. Like you, man, just easy to talk to, man. It's just you find, yeah, it's it's. We expect my conversation with Jeff was actually similar to the one we're having. Uh, just able to go in different 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 areas and different parts of the comp compass, as I say, and, and cover things and not worry too much about not self censor because I hate that. You know, I mean, use your common sense, but never self censor. Because it's ridiculous. And this is where the, the totalitarianism is starting to creep in because people are, and Jordan Peterson has spoken about this. Sorry to go back on this topic, but I'll just make this final no, point. No, it's fine. Go ahead. It's, that the, it's, it's bad when people are coerced into doing things. It's worse when people actually willfully submit to it. We saw that with the pandemic lockdowns. It's like none of that was legal. Okay, I'm not one of these sovereign citizen people who think that we don't have to listen to the government. Far from it. I think you need law and order. 
but you need law and order, not totalitarianism, not these police in black shirts beating the living daylights out of people because they're attending an anti-lockdown protest. Wrong. When they won't turn up to a Black Lives Matter protest, they won't touch that, of course, but that's not a super spreader no. event. But the anti-lockdown protest is a super spreader event. And you see, you see this narrative that's being cast and you, you just think to yourself, we as we the people, okay, we the people need to stand up for, for who we are. It's not about your civil rights. It's about who you are as a person and thinking your strength of character and what, what sort of life, and I made that point earlier, what sort of world do you want to leave for your grandkids? Is it one where they do self-censor, where they're not allowed to say things? Like we're all guilty of saying the wrong thing at the wrong time occasionally because we're fucking human. Okay, that's what right. it, that's the human. Our worst doesn't define us. It's part of the experience, though. Okay, so if we we all have arguments when we've had we, we've all had arguments where we've said things that we regret, but that's what makes us human. We've all had ideas that aren't necessarily fully formed, and we've stood behind them as if they were. Okay, but that's what growth is all about. And if you self censor, you deny yourself these opportunities. I think, and that's that's where I think it's it's extremely dangerous. This path we're going down, and Jordan's spoken about it at, at great detail about how worried he is about the way that the political system, the political outcomes, particularly in Canada, with that fucking psychopath Trudeau up there. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, isn't isn't he just a fucking man child? That that bastard. Really, I mean, he's probably well, the worst Western leader around these days, and that he even beats Emmanuel Macron from France. I he's have to bad. add something to what you're saying that you'll appreciate. I could never understand why certain things were essential and certain things were not essential. I always thought we were all essential because we all kept yeah. we all kept the machine going. But the thing that always got to me was you had to wear your mask in the airport. You had to wear your mask on the plane. But then you could take your mask down to eat, but then you had to put your mask back on after you were eating and spitting food, little particles of food and while you're eating. I just, you know, I mean, I, I just, I shook my head at some of this. I just went, oh my God, you know, ever, you know, for musicians, it was a great time to write, but unfortunately it was a really sad time because a lot of people off themselves because of the pandemic, because they couldn't work. The Some people pandemic. didn't, didn't hmm. uh, yeah, you know, uh, I think uh, on the album, you get a chance to listen to the song Lockdown. All those lyrics were written during the pandemic. That was a holdover from the pandemic onto this record. That whole story. I mean, you know, mama says trust in Jesus, but the church is closed. You know, churches are never closed, <laughs> but they were closed during the pandemic, you know. Mm. Yeah, it's weird times, but you know we have Andrew, we have rock and roll. Yeah, we, we do, have mate. music. We still have that little escape. You know, we can go with a set of headphones, and we can just walk off somewhere, and we can listen to what other people feel and how they're portraying themselves musically, and see that's still a beautiful thing. You know, that's yeah. I I think we're all suffering a little bit from solitude deprivation. Because I think everybody needs that solitude. Yeah. Unfortunately, during the pandemic, it was forced upon you. It wasn't something that you naturally went and did, you know, where you said, I've had enough, I'm going fishing. You know? Yeah. I mean, Walden did that. He took off, you know, what, how long did he, what was it, Walden? Walden Woods. I mean, that whole thing. What, Ralph Waldo Emerson? Am I quoting the right author or am I wrong? I don't um, remember who it was. Sure. Yeah, but I, I take Not, your point, though. The you philosophy of what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. 
I, maybe I've got the wrong author. Um, of course, well, here we are. We're getting canceled again. <laughs> your guest didn't. Uh, your guest didn't know what the author oh, was. I like to think um, of my audience as being very no, highly it, intelligent, so that's all good. <laughs> okay, well, that's cool. So these one or two guys will cancel me. No big deal. Um, no, it's that solitude deprivation, and I think everyone's got this brain fog still. You know, it's just there's too much of this. There's too much of this. Yeah. You know, you get out and live, you know, oh my God, Facebook isn't working today. You know what? There's an outside world. Go, yeah. you know, go swimming, go swimming. Wow, go I can't surfing. read my Twitter feed. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, shock horror. Isn't that going to be, you know, really negatively and adversely impact on your life? You know, Twitter, if there's one thing that I could, if, if I had a wand and outside of my own present personal conditions and also big things like world hunger and floods and famine and all of that sort of stuff, the one thing that I would remove is Twitter because it's a fucking sewer. It's just a toxic cesspit. I have to agree with it. Awful. Yeah. Like I said, I really, I'm not a big social media guy. I limit myself. I, I try to get in and get out as quick as I can. I'll post something and get out, you know, because mm. I don't want to get stuck. You know, this yeah. has been a great conversation. Wow, we should do this once a week. Only you don't have to broadcast it. We'll just talk. You know, let's <laughs> hang out. We'll, we'll build a friendship across the ocean. You know? Here. Well, fantastic right. to catch up, mate. Thanks so much again. I'll um, we'll, we'll keep in touch for sure. Cool. All right. All right. Talk, Take talk care. again soon, mate. Catch ya. Thank you. Bye bye. There you have it. My chat with Lenny Demon Carey from the group A Rising Force. Man, I wish. I wish more of my conversations flowed like that, I've got to say. Lenny and I could have spoken for hours, and we might even reconnect. Actually, let's do that, Lenny. Before I let you go, I need to uh, share some some information with you. I've written a book. A lot of you know that, but if you're a first-time listener, I've written a book, Scars and Guitars, Volume 1, Conversations from the World of Heavy Metal and Beyond, and you can go and download a sample over at my website, click on the link in the banner, it'll take you to a marketplace, Amazon, Google, Apple Books, you name it. Download a sample and if you do complete the purchase, do hit me up because I want to thank you personally. I've got a bit more information to share with you about the book, so please stick around and have a listen to that. But before I let you go, my name's Andrew Mackay-Smith and I'm the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast series. Until next time, it's a very goodbye for now. This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal, and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Cold Chamber and why the band will never return. You know, if you're a a band just starting out, you need to hear me. Do not start a band with partners. Ever. Yeah, wise words there. Sage advice, mate, for anybody. Don't ever, because I, I can't go do Cold Chamber right now unless I get others involved. Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the, the fans and the staying power of the... I, 
of the songs, you know, whether it's Pantera, Down, or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs. Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms that, yes, playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silenos from Demu Borgir write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction to George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silence's comments when they throw shade at then-President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster, you know, this egotistical, self-aggrandizing, complete piece of shit in there. I, I, just, I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place. And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Schuldina. Chuck was always, um, you know, he was, he was very, you know, very open-minded and, and he was into having his, his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for, for the best stuff that they had. Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson. You know, my name is John Five and Manson gave me that name and um, I had some of the best years of my life in that band and, and learned a lot. And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1, there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration, and throughout it all, you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself. Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled to read the whole book.